Welcome, friends, to another episode of The Conversation. My guests today are Corey and Katie Garrett, and they're longtime friends and partners, missionaries with Browncroft. They've had Africa in their hearts since their days at Wheaton College, when as students they decided to serve in Africa, and they've been doing that for two decades with their now five children. Uh, they've been supported through the outreach of uh, SIM and have made a long-term commitment to living and serving among the Wolof people. We'll talk about who they are in a minute. They're active in community development, youth mentoring, and generally working to build relationship bridges so they might share the good news of Jesus Christ. Corey is specifically working uh, in more recent years to publish the Wolof Bible using Arabic script, and he's been very active developing Bible apps for this community. Katie is uh, had served as the personnel coordinator and manager uh, of SIM and runs the Caffrine Scholarship Project. Welcome, Katie and Corey, to the conversation. Thanks. Good to be with you. Thank you for having us. So I know you guys and have had the great privilege, uh, I don't know, a handful of years ago to be with you in maybe your old home. I don't know. You probably don't live there anymore where I was in Caffrine, maybe. I don't know. Oh, I think it was here. Same one. Okay, good. I, I don't know if you've here. moved. Yeah. Um, but let's, uh, for those who don't know you, um, what originally, going back, we, I mentioned Wheaton College where you guys met um, a few moons ago in uh, in the great state of, Ch- of Chicago, or I mean uh, state of Illinois, I should say, outside of the city of Chicago. What drew you guys to Senegal, this, this path? Yeah, so um, I actually came to Senegal in 1997 to student teach at the American school in Dakar. So that was my first experience. I was just here for a semester, but made some connections with SIM, which is our mission now, during that time. And then when I went back to Wheaton, um, let's see. No, Corey and I met just before that, and he had just come back from Tanzania. So he spent six months in Tanzania. Then we met. Then I spent a semester in Senegal. And so it was kind of we both were already called to, you know, career missions in Africa when we met each other. Okay. And so then, yeah, we made the connections and just saw the need here in Senegal. And we wanted to work in West Be- West Africa in French speaking um, among an unreached people group. That was important to us. Wow. So I didn't realize that in all the years I've known you that you all before you guys met, you already both had Africa in your minds. Had both had experience. Yeah, as teenagers, actually, wow. we both were teenagers when we, yeah. And you both. And so already, when we met, at Wheaton, we were really both already on that kind of path. Mm-hmm. And you'd already both been to the continent of Africa uh, before you met each other. Before we got married, yeah. Oh, okay. He was just coming from Tanzania, and I was about to come to Senegal when we met that I last see. semester at wow. at Wheaton. Yeah. So it sounds like um, if if it's Tanzania and Senegal that maybe. Uh, Katie, you won out. How did you guys end up choosing Senegal? (laughs) Well, I had invested many years in learning French. Okay. That was my major. And so, and also Corey saw in Tanzania, you know, it's, it's quite reached 80% Mm -hmm. Christian in Tanzania already. So we both wanted to go somewhere where I could use the French, but where also there was more need for church planning evangelism. When we were, when I was in Tanzania, uh, before we met, you know, I was going to a church that had Two different language services, two different, uh, you know, congregations in the same church. I mean, it was a place where you had several choices of churches. Uh, the area that we were was almost 100% Christian. Tanzania as a whole is about 80% Christian. There's a very 
very strong Muslim area, but, you know, it's a place where if you think about, you know, finishing the task, Tanzanians can can do it. Mm. So we wanted to go someplace where there was many fewer Christians. A hundred years ago, Tanzania was a lot like Senegal is today, very unreached. Mm. And so we wanted to kind of get in on the ground floor of a an unreached people group and, and work where there was a great need. So I know you guys work among the Wolof. I mentioned that in the introduction, and some people um, have never heard that word. Um, they're a people group. Tell us about who they are and what attracted you to work with them. Well, uh, Wolof is a language and a people group here in Senegal, and uh, it's not the majority, but it's the biggest uh, people group. It's uh, 40% of the population, uh, but over 80% of the people in Senegal speak Wolof, uh, not necessarily as a first language, but as a second language, as a trade language. Um, and Wolof is really the, the language that you'll hear if you go into the market or if you go into a government office, it's the language that you'll speak, you know, you, people speak it in their homes. Um, it is a, a people group that has uh, big personalities and teasing and joking and laughing loudly is something <laughs> you'll hear a lot among the Wolof. Um, it is a, a very Muslim people group. Uh, people really hold to Islam. It's 99%, 99.9 something percent Muslim. Um, but they're very open at the same time, uh, very friendly uh, people. I mean, r relatively speaking, with, with other people groups that we know, Wolof are pretty easy to get to know, uh, pretty easy to get to uh, be friends with. Um, Art-wise, they have an interesting thing. You don't see a lot of plastic arts and a lot of uh, painting, sculpture, visible things. Um, but we were listening to a, a sociologist one time, and he said, the Wolof have an art their main art is language hmm. and when we when we when we heard him say that we said yeah this that's really true that when you're just speaking conversation is an art with wolof people speaking saying things well saying things in a funny way saying things in an interesting way uh sayings that sort of thing uh, that said music uh, drumming dancing are all very important dressing nicely is very important and if you're talking about art kind of stuff so, um, so speak there's also a great divert good no go ahead no i was just going to say that there's also a great they're not monolithic i mean if you, t if you talk about americans you can certain make certainly make generalizations about americans and yet there's also all these subcultures in america and that's true of wolof too i mean there is an incredible difference between rural wolof people and urban rural uh, urban wolof people great differences and so um, a, just as just as an aside, almost to, to finish up, it's not like they they're all the same by any right. means. There are great right. differences among even regional dialects. You can tell people, when we go up to Dakar, people hear us speaking and say, "Oh, you guys are from Kafrine, aren't you?" Mm. So there's really defined kind of regional accents as well. You know that, that carry over to cultural things as well. So speaking of language as the arts of the Wolof people. That's a very interesting way to think about it, and language is the number one thing that most people think of when they think about people being career missionaries. You know, and you, you Katie, mentioned French, uh, um, which, you know, that's in itself a challenge, but most people would say, okay, French, you know, Italian, maybe I can master that. 
But Wolof, uh, which I've heard you guys speak, um, what was that experience like? How long did it take? And and did you feel a shift in your own ability to enter that culture? That's a huge part of being a missionary. Huge, huge part, yeah. Um, I mean, we both like languages and language learning. So I think for both of us, it was kind of a challenge to attack that was fun. Um, so and from the beginning, you know, you learn a few greetings and then with Wolof, if you can tease someone even just a little bit and say, you love to eat, then you're, you have a relationship started, you know. Um, but definitely it takes time and it's just spending time with people. Um, I remember at about seven years thinking, I, I feel comfortable now, wow. like talking to people, knowing how to respond in different social settings and stuff. So it just it really does just take that kind of time. Wow. In- but you can do a lot at every level. So mm. with language learning, you know, you're here a week. And you can do like a thousand percent more than you could do on day one. You know, you're here a year and you're, you, you, you know, you just grow exponentially by the more time you spend here. So you, you, you have to get out and just use what you have on that day. And then and tomorrow you're going to be better. You know, I mean, like Katie said, you know, I think I, w- I think I was here 10 years before I could sit with two native, native mother tongue speakers and follow their conversation completely. Wow. I mean, that takes a long time, you know, mm-hmm. uh, to get to that point. And you think of how, you know, doing that in English is just like, it's a no-brainer. You know, you just sit there and listening to a conversation. That's not hard. But right. learning in a language is, is pretty hard. Um, whereas, in the you know, even if, if when you're there for just a couple of years, if you're driving the conversation, you can, you can pretty much understand everything. So, but, you know. When you talk about languages, Art, I don't want to spend too much time here, but I'm fascinated in your, and when you mention that being their art. Now 10 years, or not 10 years, 20 years in or, or so that you guys have been there, but you took your 7 and 10 to get to a place of being more in the language. Do you, what have you learned? And I don't mean so much, you know, the, the obvious things like you can listen to somebody, but if, if, if you are now to a degree in this culture, um, are there things that you've learned about this people um, that no one, you know, that you just couldn't know without being inside the language. I just wonder, what, what do you see? What do you learn? Yeah. I mean, I would say a couple things. One thing is you learn, I mean, we've learned that we're not well off and we never will be, you know, <laughs> as much as we know how to navigate inside and we feel very comfortable and at ease, we are not well off, you know? Um, so that's one thing. But I think also when we speak Wolof, we put on our Wolof, mm-hmm. Cory and Katy personalities, you know, Cory and Katie in English. You just change a little bit when you're speaking this language because the culture goes with the language, you know. So um, we're a lot more thick-skinned. Yeah, the teasing is a big deal. The I don't know. It's just you put on the personality with the language. That's what I can say. So mm-hmm. so the, um, the uh, Wolof people, the Wolof language is, you're saying, is more fun, it's more um, give and take, it's more, um, I don't know, sarcastic, you didn't say that, but is that what you're saying? There, there's, there's, there's more sarcastic, give and take? sarcastic, but like, um, like teasing, kind of in your face, okay. you know? Nice, interesting. Yeah, a normal conversation, uh, you know, a normal conversation in, in Wolof, uh, if you were to just translate it into English, <laughs> almost you would, you know... It sounds sort of offensive. Yeah, you, know? you say Catalani. You say Catalani. Oh, Catalani's here. Hide all the rice. You know he's going to come eat our, out of house and home. And yeah, it's <laughs> really offensive. You know, and you you know if you were to you know you know if you were to 
if you, we were like, you, you, so, so the Wolof have these different, uh, basically family groups and they're, they're teasing cousins. So there's certain groups that they can tease mercilessly <laughs> and it's not a, it's not a problem. Now this is actually an it's interesting thing. It's relationship building because, actually. Because Senegal is the only country in West Africa to not have had a civil war or a coup since its founding in 1960. Wow. All the other wow. ones, all the other, all the people groups form the parties so if you're uh let's take it to the american uh, situation you know if you're if you're italian you're in the italian political party if you're from german background you're in the german background that's how it is in cote d'ivoire you know uh, guinea guinea bissau etc in senegal all the ethnicities all the language groups are mixed up in all the all the political parties okay that's good. And so you get the situation where, you know, you can get into really heated political battles and stuff, but it doesn't turn eth into ethnic cleansing. It That's doesn't turn into ethnic violence. Hmm. And so it's a really important part of the, the culture. But if you would hear what you say to each other, I mean, it's, you really dig into people. And then, you know, we'll off to Pular. Your Pular people were our slaves. Oh. You know, I'm your king, that kind of stuff. I mean, wow. Terrible stuff, yeah. I mean. It's just the expression of... The history, I guess, yeah. <laughs> and a way of connecting. And yet it diffuses tension yeah. in a way that uh, I almost think that, uh, you know, we need a little bit more of in yeah. America yeah. with our yeah. divisions because people are joke so about, serious right. yeah. all the time about that's everything. Right. I mean, I'm yeah. talking about the political realm. No, that's right. But even, you know, you're talking about in the church, you know, between denominations or, you know, denominational backgrounds, whatever. People right. are so serious. I mean, if you read some of the religious blogs that are out there, you blush. You know, how, how people talk to each other no, or right. talk about each other. You know? Right. It becomes very um, an attack and, uh, you know, one-sided um, debate. Um, so talk, talk about relationships because, you know, that's huge to missionaries. The other thing people think about when they think about people that do missionary work like you're doing, you know, long-term, immersing yourself in another culture language is difficult, then, you know, how do you build relationships? Do people trust you? Are you always seen as an outsider? Like you said a minute ago, Katie, we'll, we're not Wolof, but um, I, I know you could talk for hours on this because you guys have um, <laughs> been there, but what, 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 was, what is it like uh, to build relationships with people, not only from a different culture, which is this case, uh, uh, the, uh, you know, uh, West Africa and their, and their Wolof, Senegalese, but also obviously Muslim, and, um, you know, they don't look like you. That must be... Well, I, I mean, I think we could learn from the Wolof in this area to some extent. Uh, they're, they've been so welcoming and so open to us. You know, they know we're Christians. Obviously, we're white. Um, and people have just welcomed us into their homes. They're very open to having friendships. And, you know, I think we were both working in a village for about six, seven years. And we each had a family name, a child after us. You know, so we're talking about really letting us in to their family, to their to their home and having good relationships. Um, yeah, I, I've been just really touched and blessed by how open people have been to us. Um, that doesn't mean they're, so they're open to hearing the gospel. That doesn't right. mean that they're open to themselves becoming Christians, mm -hmm. but there's just a very, very high value on tolerance and openness. Um, so let me ask you this question, speaking, you know, as, as we people are listening to you or will be listening to, to this conversation, we're living in the midst of the, this is rare, where we're doing the same thing, that is to say, the whole world's going through a pandemic. What is it like in um, where you guys live in Kaffrine and even in Senegal? Is it, is it uh, you know, front page news completely interrupting your life or how's, what, what is it like to be in the oh, corners? Yeah. yeah. Well, it was, it's funny. Uh, 
at the beginning, it was very much the same for you guys. Uh, so like in March, everything shut down. It was just total lockdown. Uh, you couldn't even travel between regions. Senegal, by law, can do things that in America are actually illegal. And so they immediately said, like, imagine if you said not just between states, but between counties, there's no travel. And the cops are on the road and they'll stop you and turn you back if you try to go from one county to the next. And that's how it was here um, uh, in terms of the geographical areas that you're talking about. So we couldn't go up to Dakar or anything. We had some we had some uh, warning. And so we were able to go and get the girls and bring them down here. I see. But for about three months, I think it was total lockdown. We couldn't leave Kafrine. We couldn't go out to the villages. So when we when they did the lockdown, we I mean, of course, we obey the, the lockdown and everything. We stopped going to villages, so we haven't restarted going to villages um, until now. But we're in maybe ten days or so going to start start doing that, um, and we'll talk more about that later. But about three months in, they said, "Okay, you can. Uh, we're going to loosen the restrictions." Blah, blah blah. So we had this spike, um, but when we did the lockdown, it kind of contained it we're down to the point right now that we've had we only have what how many under there's only like 24 ca current cases in the country right now 24 so, 4,000 yeah from wow. 4,000 in august that's fantastic yeah. so we've only had about we've They've had done an amazing job we've had under 400 people actually die because of it wow um now in the, obviously in the country we have a lot less Yes. Yeah, out of 15 wow. million population. Wow. Now, obviously, we know America's, the, I think, the, I think right, by the worst any country measure, in the, the worst country, right, right. In the world. So, saying that we, we're doing way better than America, it, it doesn't mean much. But it's they've done such a good job. I mean, it's been two months, probably. People are like, oh, COVID, that's over. And we're like, guys, it's not over yet. It's not over yet. <laughs> and then eventually we realize, actually, here kind it is. Over here. Kind of over. Well, they shut all the schools in March, and they're going to open tomorrow. Oh, for the first wow. time since March. That's fantastic. Yeah. Well, that's great. So we, they, they've done a fantastic, fantastic yeah. job. So you guys are just now, in the next two weeks, you said, going back to what you, you the village, visiting people in their, yeah. in their homes. And they, they even even stopped uh, meeting in churches and mosques and everything, which, if mm -hmm. I mean, if you know anything about Senegal, I'd say having them stop mosque meetings was, like, amazing. But they really did that for a while. And... Uh, but anyway, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna start uh, going back to the villages. So, We've so speaking of mosque, uh, you know, obviously uh, typifies that you're in, living in a, a predominantly, uh, overwhelmingly Muslim country. Um, you may have mentioned that already, but what does it mean um, to become a Christian? And and I know because I've heard you guys talk many. I mean, I know you were there for years and with not one convert kind of thing, but. Um, when somebody does become a Christian, or or maybe help us understand why it's so hard, even if I want to yeah. become a Christian, right? Uh, yeah. Why is that so difficult? Yeah. Let me tell you two really quick stories of people that we've known without naming them. The one gal, a friend of mine, she was listening to me. We were reading the Bible together, talking a lot about it. She got to the point where yeah, I believe this is the truth. You know, I believe Jesus came to die for us and that if we follow him, you know, we can have salvation and joy and peace. And so she broached the subject with her mother. She was an adult, but this is her, you know, elderly mother. And her mother freaked out and uh, locked herself in her room, refused to eat for three days, cried, screamed, you know, just put up a big, big fuss. And, and so my friend just 
basically backed off mm. and said, okay, okay. I was just asking, what would you do if I decided wow. I was going to become a Christian? I'm not, you know? And so that's kind of, we've seen that happen a lot where people want to, they intellectually assent to the truths mm-hmm. of the gospel, but they just can't break with their communities yep. and their families. The pressure is so intense, you know? And then a positive story in the sense that someone who did actually follow through with it, um, somebody who studied the Bible for 10 years, Bible study every week, every week, 10 years. I mean, it just takes a long time to get to the point where, okay, all my questions are answered. I'm ready to make that step. I know it's going to be painful, but I'm ready. And then it takes um, standing up to family members and saying, I'm going to be baptized. I want to become a Christian. And what happened to this young man, this was in 2017 when he was baptized. Um, He was brought before the village, the imam, the religious leader, and interrogated for several days. Um, They just basically tried to change his mind. Um, get him to turn back. And when he refused, um, his uncle washed his hands of him and said, you know, I'm dead to you. You're dead to me. If I die, don't come to my funeral. I won't come to yours. And this was someone who was precious to him, you know? Um, so yeah, you can sort of see the pressure. It's, it's not, it's not a legal thing. It's not that they're going to be beaten or imprisoned. It's just intense family and social pressure. Isn't that something? And so what is there, is there any What's the Christian population of Senegal and or the Wolof people? Well, for the Wolof, there's 5 million people and less than 200 believers, wow. they estimate. Um, for Senegal overall, I think if you include Catholics, it's like maybe 4% Christian, 94% Muslim, okay. something like that. Mm. So we're talking very low numbers. Mm. So um, wh- how do you guys... Um, you know, what's your, it's probably changed over the years, but what's been your general approach? I mean, you talk, obviously it's relationship building, you talked some about that, but, you know, uh, sometimes still, you know, people do storying, you know, different kinds of approaches um, generally in, with, um, you know, cultures that are don't have any Christian background. What, what has been your approach or approach is? Yeah, we've been through s- different cycles of ministry, but in general, it follows the pattern of uh, projects, um, uh, basically sharing the word and prayer. And so, uh, you know, most of our career, we've been down here in Kaffrine and doing village work. Um, and so typically what we'll do is there's some project that we can work on the uh, on with the village. We uh, try to ask them what they need and stuff like that. Uh, do some uh, research on what the different populations of the, of the in the village want, the, the women, the men, the old men, the young women, et cetera, whatever, uh, and figure out something that we can do that really will benefit everybody equally. So there won't be like playing favorites and stuff that, that gets, that takes some, some discernment to figure right. out what you can do that's going to help everybody. And some, sometimes you're walking on graves in these villages. You, you, there's fault lines that you can't see. Right. This half of the village wants this, that other half of the village, they don't want it. And so if you do it, then you get, anyway. So you, we try to figure out uh, something that we can do that benefits everybody, but along the way, share the word in different ways. Um, and we've done this in different ways. What we're doing right now is, basically including scripture in our teachings about other things, uh, health, 
you know, water, et cetera, different things like that. And then seeing where there's a response and when there's a response, going back to those, those people. And the goal is to start family-based Bible studies. And so we've had some, some success with it. We, we were uh, working with the Sandifers who are also um, mm-hmm. with yep. uh, Browncroft. And um, so we were doing uh, uh, high blood pressure testing and uh, just education in a village and having great conversations with people. We could be in a family, talk to everybody in the whole family for a couple of hours, share some scripture, and then depending on how people reacted, just go deeper with them or go on to the next house, depending on. So it was a wide seed sowing in the sense that, you know, you just get scripture in people's ears and eyes and see what the response is. And then mm-hmm. you can follow up where you, where you can. Prayer, obviously, is a big part of that as well, and something Browncroft's been involved with uh, over the the years that we've been here, certainly. And um, so, uh, storing, we've done storing in the past, done other things in the past, but that's kind of what we're doing right now. And so, um, you you most recently have got into this Arabic script, right, um, work, mm-hmm. and um, has that been um, catalytic? What, uh, how, how did you find your way into it, and how effective is it? Helpful is it? Well, it's something that it, we, I did not come up with. It. People have been working on it in Senegal and across West Africa for a long time before I got into it. Um, I got the benefit of lots of very smart people's uh, previous decades of work. So um, basically, Arabic script is just like Roman script, our ABCs, in that you you have a letter that expresses a sound, it's not like pictograms or, or right. uh, you know, like Chinese is like a, it's it's phonetic. Like a, a little picture for, yeah, it's mm-hmm. phonetic, exactly. And so you can write any any language using Arabic script. You can even write English using Arabic script. And so uh, in West Africa in particular, lots of people are literate in Arabic script in their own language. And that's true in Senegal. So in our area, I think I've mentioned this to you probably in the past, but in our area, it's only about 30% literacy if you survey for for Roman script literacy, but it shoots up to 70% if you survey for Arabic script literacy. So you have this, people call it a hidden literacy. People are like, oh man, we got to teach these people how to read before they can read the Bible. Well, actually, we just have to format the Bible in the way that they can already read it. Um, And so we... um, Basically, to make a, a, a very long story short, some technology came together, some software things came together, and so we were able to um, uh, put the put several books of the Bible out in printed um, paper book format, and also we've been able to do a Bible app with um, almost the whole Bible in Arabic script. I, I'm exaggerating. It's not almost the whole Bible. It's about half the Bible, a little bit over the half the Bible. I'm, uh, that's one of the projects on my plate is to complete the transcription. Um, and so that's been something that is really, really important because people, a lot of people can read it, but even if they can't read it, if they see that you're reading Arabic script, right. that lets them know this is holy. Right. And so if you're reading from an Arabic script booklet that you know, I have these little booklets that I've formatted, you can print at home for, you know, 20, 25 francs, you take those out, you know, you give them to somebody and you can, you can just leave it with them, you know? And they can read it for themselves. They can verify that what you're telling them is what's really in the book, that sort of thing. So it's a really, really useful thing in Senegal that is um, certainly gaining ground, uh, gaining traction among missionaries and uh, among Wolof and even in other people groups. Not that I'm a huge part of doing that, but um, other people groups are, are doing it too. 
And are is there any um, I don't know a pushback or um, intimidation kind of thing because you're you know this looks like a Quran or that kind of thing or no all's well I mean is there any concern that oh, from anybody no that's that's a good thing not a bad thing I mean the, that it looks that way you know no but um, I mean even from so even even from the uh, imams etc that's it's a good thing is what you're saying. Oh. oh no! I I was re I was sitting with a, a Quranic teacher one time, and I was we were it, it was pretty early in the th- in the in the process. I was doing a lot of testing to make sure that my transcription process was good, and so I was sitting with a Quranic teacher and and his brother, who was not a teacher but really uh, could read Arabic script well off very very well. And we were reading in Genesis the Noah's Ark uh, story, and it was to the part where it tells the measurements, the length, width, etc. And uh, the construction process and the materials used and all that stuff. And and the older of the two looked up at his younger brother <clears throat> and said, do we have this in any of our books? <laughs> and the other guy said, no, I never read it. And the guys were like really thankful for showing them this, this these these important for them very, very important details. What were the? What was the length, width? What was the mm-hmm. materials and stuff like that? We don't uh, have this. We haven't read this before. Yeah. You know. So it's, it's really they, they're very, very open in, mm-hmm. in 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 general. I mean, very, very few people will have any pushback. They just are so interested to have this new information. And also, there's not that much stuff in uh, Arabic script Wolof. I mean, there there's a, there's a few books and and stuff, but you know. Uh, having an expanded library, as it were, is really uh, exciting to them. I mean, and one guy, there's one Quranic teacher, again, that uh, we're, we're working with, and he's read all of Genesis, all of Exodus, uh, all of uh, Luke and Acts, all the stuff that I've uh, done so far, and just can't get enough. Every time I visit him, he's got the book open Wow. In front of him, he doesn't know I'm. He just comes and and he's got these bookmarks in the book, and he says, "Oh, I wanted to ask you about this. What happened? What? Mm-hmm. Tell me about the story." So, so mm-hmm. people are really people are, are are really into it. So I want to. I just uh, we're running out of time. I want to ask just a couple personal questions, and um, we want to how we can be uh, be uh, thinking and praying for you. But let me ask you just one last question. When you've been there twenty something years, how long have you guys been there? 20, yeah. Yeah, this, 20. this is 20 years. So when I think about everything you just said and lots that you didn't about the difficulty, not so much, you know, you're under persecution, which you've probably had your versions of that, but I mean just the difficulty of um, bearing fruit and um, slowly building relationships and slowly, you know, that one story Katie you told about the, the, the girl who was, you know, under such tremendous cultural pressure not to become a Christian. After 20 years now of watching this, obviously being a little bit on the inside of this language and seeing people, seeing the world from their point of view, has this changed your theology um, or think, mm. thinking about, you know, uh, this whole thing called, you know, what God is up to in the world and the the exclusive gospel, etc.? Well, I think we have a more developed theology of suffering now than we did when we first came. I think we're much more aware of our incapacity to effect change in others than we were when we first came. I mean, it is only the Word of God that speaks to people, and it is only the Holy Spirit that convicts and converts people. It is only God that transforms, you know. Um, So we can tire ourselves out. If we try to take that job on ourselves, um, because we're incapable of doing that. Um, so I think also just God's patience, you know, 
we are very impatient. We want to see things happen quickly. Uh, this young man who was baptized in 2017, it was 10 years of Bible study, and it was very frustrating for us working with him and his brother. Same story. You know, we were like, ah, oh, just forget these guys. They're never going to, you know. But the Lord is patient and gracious, and so we're trying to be more like that. And I recognize it takes time. And I wonder. I think to. Um, go go no, you go. Um, no, I think two, two things come to mind. One is there's things you know in your head and there's things that you can, you feel in your heart. You know, there's, there's, it, it's one thing to know something at some point of mm-hmm. theology and then another to really feel it in your heart and, and live it out. And some of those things like, like Kate was saying, you know, uh, it's really up to God. It's God's work and I, we can't do much. Um, Something, a uh, scripture that has been uh, on my heart a lot over the past 12 months or so uh, in Isaiah 50, verse 10, 10 or 11 there, talks about following God in the darkness and not lighting up your own light. Mm-hmm. Okay, so following God in the darkness and not insisting on knowing or, or figuring out what's going on on your own or... Or, understanding, or not un- understanding it, or also saying, "Well, this it's dark, so I'm going to go on my own right. understanding of what what's happening." And I think f- that kind of you know, like you think of Job and how he didn't ever know why those things happened to him, right? When you, I think that something, especially recently, has been this idea of following God in the darkness when you don't understand what all is happening. And that, I think, is one of the big areas of growth, which there was a lot of area, there is still a lot of area, growth to be had in this area. But understanding, I think, is very important for us as Americans. What's happening? Why did this happen? Why did this happen to me? Why did this happen to him? And that can get us to the point where we actually even leave the faith, lots of Americans. And I think following God in the darkness, that is one of the biggest themes because, mm. you know, many, many years we would say, I mean, for example, this, 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 this situation that Katie was talking about, we were like, what are you doing here, Lord? Now, when we actually get to the end of the story and we figure it out, oh, well, we see what you're doing now. You ha- we, he gives us a little light. It helps to, to walk in the darkness in situations where we don't understand what's going on, you mm. see. Well, it shows you have to be sometimes in a place where you just said you spent invested 10 years or whatever the number was with this man and his brother, and it's such an amazing story. But, you know, sometimes we quit in our own lives and in places at year three, four, five, six, seven, eight, even nine, right? We right. quit. Right. And uh, so right. it, it says something about um, not being on our own timetable and even, as you said, you know, uh, Corey, you know, being, however you said it, you know, being willing to walk in the dark or minister in the dark um, and not understand mm-hmm. and just keep going, uh, a kind of um, obedience that says, you know, I'm going to leave the big questions and the fruitfulness or the or the fruit up to God. And then that's, that's hard for yeah. us. Um, so last question or two about... We, we are spending a little time uh, as a church really going – I love your metaphor, Corey, about, you know, um, the, the challenge of being a Christian, I suppose, but of, of also being a Christian on mission wherever you live in the dark. And we, we want to be um, in the midst of our own 
you know, confusion. It's relative to everyone, but like, you know, in, I'm talking about the coronavirus now, just in, a, in this season. We're in a weird season in, in America, not only with the coronavirus and, and the election, but other things that you, you know, the, 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 the divisions and the tensions, racial tensions, et cetera. It's, it's, a, it's a very unusual season of confusion. And you might say, to your metaphor, kind of a dark period. And so mm-hmm. how can Christians, let's just say in general, be for the world, whether it's Senegal or anything else? Maybe you just answered it, Corey, but how, how can we be for um, those who don't know, be for a hurting world, be for a world that doesn't know Christ um, in this season of darkness? Well, it's a big question. That's a hard question. And I cannot completely uh, even start to answer it. Um, and yet, uh, you know, I think, I mean, especially I think of America. I mean, obviously you guys are in America. We're in Senegal, so our ministry contexts are very different. But in, in America right now, I'm just the division, it's like you don't even almost want to go outside you don't want to tell anybody what you think, what you really think, whether you're a Democrat or Republican, Jew, <laughs> Christian, Muslim. You don't want anybody to know because everybody's going to jump down your don't jump down your throat about it. That's the sense that I have about America right now. You see, and I think being humble and 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 um, how can I say it? Um, not 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 proud, but still bold about being a Christian. I think that's the thing is to be. I think when you see when you see Christians in the media or when you see Christians through the lens of politics or when you see Christians through the lens of uh, media, man, it's not very nice looking. Right. But almost invariably when you encounter Christians face to face, it's wonderful, it's attractive, you know. So I think the main thing that I, I would say is to keep getting out there and seeing people face to face, not be beat down by this, the kind of negative negativity that is so prevalent in America right now. That's the thing that I think would be hardest for me if I was in America right now. Is just that, man, I just want to go hide. Just let me be a Christian, mm-hmm. but I don't want to have to tell anybody else about it or do anything mm-hmm. else about it. I think the other thing is that people do respond to this, the acts of love. I think you guys, I know you guys are talking about the the four book right now right. and talking about what you what what are we known for and what are we what do we think we're known for right. what do we want to be known for mm-hmm. and i think when you have the like what i think of it in terms of projects prayer first but also projects and sharing the word what are things that i can do to let people know that i'm for them, I'm serving them, I'm thinking about them and our neighbor, people that are outside, you know, obviously one thinks about that for the people that are inside too, but um, I think, you know, you, you know, working with others outside of the church is a good way of doing that and figuring it out. I mean, I think sometimes when we go to our friends in the village, the village chief, when you say, what do you guys feel is right. your need right now? Right. I mean, if you were to just go to the Rochester mayor, he probably would have some ideas as well. But I mean, it doesn't have to be necessarily that you only work with people who are theologically exactly the same as you. I think that, you know, you work with other people who are not exactly the same on a common goal, something, you know, we're we're feeding the kids, we're doing school lunches or whatever it is. You know, you have an opportunity to 
share, and then right. you follow up where pe- where there's interest. It's just like what we're doing, you know. Right. So I, I think that's a that's a that's a thing that I would say is just see where where people are hurting, where people are needing, and I think there's a lot of ways that people are hurting and needy. Look at look at look at what's going on in America right now. There's a lot right. of places where we can get involved, but we got to say, you know what? Probably somebody, probably ten percent of the people are going to jump down our throat about us being Christians or just thinking that we know the truth. Right. We got to keep going because ninety percent of the people aren't. They're going to listen, and then ten percent of those people probably are going to go farther. Well, what I like about you know, this whole conversation and this question is, you know, you talked about relationships. I'm talking about the Senegalese or the Wolof, and you know, even though they don't rush to become Christians for for the reasons that you stated, um, there's a tremendous relational sort of comfort and, and 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 winsomeness and grace, and and they're naming kids after you, and and it's it's it. There's a relationship. So I think what I'm hearing you say, uh, and what I want to enforce, or or I mean. Um, punctuate with uh, people here is 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 relationship you know don't let the media speak for you don't let social media speak for you don't assume and therefore don't act but um, how can we even in the midst of you know this pandemic um, that limits us um, just be with people right um, whether it's our neighbors our family you know whoever it is in appropriate ways so that our lives which are not you know, a sound bite, which are not a you know a, a um, so um, circumscribed in some uh, by somebody else, but they're 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 multidimensional. And what does it mean, as you say, to be with a Christian? Uh, if I happen to be a Christian, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, in you know, if you, if you think about people who are Christians, and I like that. That's maybe that's uh, you know what's old is new again, and it's always about having relationships with people. And uh, in our um, life here in America, maybe in the whole world, but maybe God's put a, a hard stop on so much of what we do in everyday life. I'm talking about getting on airplanes and just being being um, very mobile and very sort of focused on our own uh, lives and agendas to, to, to help us to realize what life is about. And really, as even as Christians, is to be with people. And, you know, you can always criticize somebody uh, you know who you don't really know except through you know some kind of um, third party or the internet you know as you say so I like that um, last question for you guys both of you is how can we be for you that is us here at Browncroft um, you know in this moment um, in in 2020 as we had into the last month or so of this year how can we be for you well, you are already doing it. I would say you guys are one of our um, most encouraging partners. Um, yeah, I, I mean, when I think of being for someone, I think of, you know, listening to them and being attentive to how you can help. And you guys do that in so many ways. So, you know, we are fully supported financially. We know that you pray for us. There's the Wolof team that's in communication with us. We get encouraging emails. I mean, talking with you like this, this is just, yeah. I mean, we know that you are for us, and we covet your continued prayers, and yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, we, we want to do that, and uh, and I'm and it's good to catch up on hearing about your girls. It's just so amazing to think you have a girl who's about to graduate from high school, and, and is your oldest already out of college? Or she's No, our oldest just graduated from high school, and oh. the second will graduate in this June. Yeah, okay, they're just a so year, year apart. Okay, one year apart. Okay, one year apart. 
But yeah. still, that's pretty yeah. amazing when I think of you guys. I still, yeah. I still and so think actually of- we'll be in America next year because um, in June we start our year furlough. Okay. So hopefully we'll get to Browncroft. Good. We're hoping that the pandemic will allow us to spend some time up there. Well, we're, we're, uh, maybe- we're good. We're, we're thinking good thoughts, including a vaccine. You know, I mean, you hear all these things, but yeah. we're, we're hearing yeah. good thoughts maybe, maybe by uh, – the first quarter of the year will be at least in a better position. Yeah. Right so we'll now, put our, both our girls in college is our plan in the fall. And then, you know, maybe October, nice. if you guys have a missions, uh, conference, we'll okay. come up there. It's a deal. We'll, uh, we'll plan. Are you, are they going to go to Wheaton, your girls? <laughs> well, I think Wheaton is a backup school okay. for, uh, one of our girls. I see. Okay. Right. <laughs> we'll see. Our oldest has gotten into union and she's going to, she's deferred oh. enrollment. She wants to be a nurse and they nice. have a nursing program in there. Albany, union right? Union in Tennessee. Tennessee, in Tennessee. Oh, in Tennessee. Okay, because I know there's one in Albany. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. listen, it has been great to be with you guys. We uh, we love you. We miss you, and we hope to see you, um, like you say, this summer. But if uh, you know, we'll keep be praying for you, and and I'm sure people listening will uh, will uh, be warm to hear your good report, to um, um, hear your voices, and even hear that you know the coronavirus, which is on everybody's mind, is not you know so prevalent in your area so that's yeah. good we looked forward to in this area catching up with you this is so much fun for us thank you so much all right have a great day we'll uh, talk to you again all right love Thanks. to you all <laughs> bye-bye friends thank you for joining me with my friends uh, katie and Corey garrett and uh and look forward to another episode of the conversation soon see you soon <laughs>